Hello, this is Jesse Weiler for Adoremus Bulletin. In this episode, we speak with Mary Catherine Levery about her recent article titled The Eucharistic Dynamic of Beauty. Mary Catherine is the professor and director of music at Mount St. Mary Seminary and School of Theology for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and she currently serves as the president of the Society for Catholic Liturgy. So without further ado, another Adoremus interview. Hi, Mary Catherine. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Jetsy? Doing really well. I'm very excited to talk about this article. Uh, beyond, you know, the topic and, you know, the context of the article and everything that's there, I just have to say I love the way that you uh, composed everything, starting with the, the three different paradoxes and then ending with a paradox in and of itself, uh, you know, wrapping everything up in the conclusion. So I just I thought the format there was really good. It was really easy to read. And so, of course, we're talking about your article, The Eucharistic Dynamic of Beauty. Um, my first question when I talk to authors for Adoramus is, where did this idea come from and why was this on your mind and, and uh, how did this article come to be? So this article came to be uh, because I had taught a course in the spring of 2023 called Theology of Aesthetics. Uh, I purposely titled it very broadly because I knew I wanted to teach a course about beauty uh, to within a, a Christian Catholic context to the seminarians here, but I didn't know what angle I wanted to take. Uh, initially, I thought I might do a survey of thought, uh, tapping on great thinkers like like St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, and then looking at the the modern era in terms of Catholic thinkers on the subject of beauty. Uh, however, I came to realize, A, that would be an enormous amount of work uh, that I, I didn't have the time to do, unfortunately. But I did remember uh, a wonderful book written by one of my professors from Notre Dame called Eating Beauty, uh, the Eucharist in the Spiritual Arts of the Middle Ages. After reading the book and just being completely wowed by it, I thought, you know, I think this is enough substance for one class, uh, for for my seminarians and myself. Uh, so the syllabus became a reading of one chapter a week of this book. Uh, it was an absolutely wonderful semester for me. Uh, it Preparing for this class didn't feel like work. I found it tremendously edifying. Uh, to think about these ideas, uh, to pray about these ideas. Uh, and so when uh, when Mr. Karstens asked me what I might like to write about, I said immediately beauty. Uh, and it was an opportunity for me to kind of wrap up the many thoughts I had from this class uh, into something I could share with others. So I mentioned the paradoxes that you start with. So let's start there. I mean, you, you talk about at first, uh, you talk about uh, there are two ways to eat beauty, and there are two effects. One preserves, one destroys beauty. So can you talk a little bit about that in this, uh, you know, medieval thinking? Yes. So that so that, that idea, there's two ways to eat beauty, one destructive and one that is fruitful or generative. So that comes from Simone Weil, uh, who's a 20th century philosopher, but rooted her philosophy of beauty and it was a Christian one, even though it, it's debatable whether she herself became Christian before she died. Um, so, but paradoxically, she offers a, a philosophy of beauty that's rooted rooted in medieval Christianity, right? Uh, and 
as much as I can make sense of it, right? I think what that means is when a person is is struck by something beautiful, there there is a temptation to possess it immediately for oneself, right? A, a, a kind of destruction. Uh, you know, I, in terms of actual eating of food, right? Uh, I think we might call that gluttony, right? Is seeing something that's delicious, that's appealing to us and just taking as much as we can. Uh, for a scriptural allegory, maybe we could think of the hoarding of the manna uh, by the children of Israel uh, in the book of Exodus, right? Given this great gift of food that they try to store, right, for days to come, right? Rather than uh, approaching it with a kind of reverence of the gift that was given them for sustenance in this moment, right? Uh, so with a parallel to gluttony, we can think of that as one way of eating or consuming beauty, right? The other way of eating beauty, uh, simply put, is a two-way street, right? So in when Vey develops this second notion of eating beauty, she says uh, that one who eats beauty is also eaten by God. That is one who takes in a beautiful sight uh, or a beautiful person, right? allows one to be transformed by that experience, right? So the person encountering beauty, or in this second way of eating beauty, right, is made more beautiful themselves, right? And there's a kind of cherishing of the beautiful object or the beautiful person that allows them to be glorified for their own sake, right? Uh, it's I, I haven't possessed this other in a way that destroys them, right? But now there's a there's a communion right, in, in which the two people, the two objects exist, and each becomes more beautiful or is more glorified in their nature because of that. So, yeah, we see this in the Mass, you know, we see that when you eat Christ, you become Christ-like. Yes. I mean, this is the transfiguration uh, and transformation that we're all trying to aspire to be sanctified and, and deified. And and so speaking of Christ, now we get into this, this other paradox, perfect flaws, uh, about God's, uh, you know, or, or Christ's two divine natures. So how, how does that then extend, you know, from this, you know, eating that destroys and eating that preserves into this next paradox? That's right. So the the beauty of Christ's suffering, or I think as Anna Stell puts it, the beauty of the Christus deformis. Uh, well, this is where St. Augustine comes into play, right? And is key here. Uh, in the book of Philippians, when he says of Christ, though he was in the form of God, uh, he thought not the form of God something to be grasped at, but emptied himself, right? So as, as Carol Harrison puts it, right, the form of servi, the form of the slave, who is emptied out, right, in the person of Christ, is unified with forma dei, the form of God. Uh, so in fact, it, it's, Christ descends uh, to the ultimate depth, right? But at no point ceases being God. Uh, at no point ceases being perfect beauty, right? Uh, so he brings all the dignity of, of the divine with him into the depths of the, we might say the ugliest parts of humanity, the the, the darkest parts, uh, the parts where, where the suffering is almost, it, it, the suffering is unspeakable. Uh, Right. So it's it's with this understanding that St. Augustine provides us. It's that, you know, Christ has has touched everything. 
that is within humanity. He's made everything beautiful, right? And I think it's in, in, in this understanding that we can legitimately have hope, right? When we see the darkest of humanity, when we might experience uh, the darkest parts of life ourselves uh, with the comfort that we know Christ is present. There's nothing so repulsive or horrible that he hasn't touched it and he doesn't dwell with us. In fact, you could say Christ prefers to be there, right, with with the lowliest, that this is where his love is felt most intensely. This is where his presence is, uh, this is, this is where his presence is, is most intense, um, which is uh, why I end up speaking about the the corporal works of mercy and and the poor and the suffering, right? I I think when one encounters this beauty in Christ and and the the ineffable love He has for us to be with us in these darkest, mo- you know, most deformed parts of our life, uh, you know, one is struck by a, a love for the deformed, the suffering, the sick, right? Uh, it's uh, that love that possesses us, that with which Christ possesses us. Uh, urges us to want to love those uh, who are most like him, right, in this suffering. Uh, so, so the, and, and to me, this is the, well, it's the paradox of the Christian understanding of beauty, right, the Catholic understanding of beauty. Um, but it's, it, 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 it's key to an understanding of the divine love of Christ and the specific the, the specific incredible love he has for humanity, right? That for him, the lowly, the lowliest are the most beautiful. Well, again, this is why I love, you know, this style that, that you kind of, so we have the form and the principle of what we're talking about. We have that whole form and principle perfected in Christ. And then the second thing that, you know, being deformed and reformed is then our, you know, human participation in that divine occurrence. So, so how, do, so how does that relate now us as humans understanding again, this, this principle of consuming beauty and also understanding Christ's dual nature. Now, how did we then attach ourselves to those two uh, seemingly paradoxical ideas? Yeah. Well, of, of course, primary is participation in and reception of the sacraments, participation in and reception of the Eucharist, right? Uh, which, um, you know, with the with the orientation and the prayer, like Lord, make me more beautiful, so that the world can become more beautiful, right? Like Lord, bring me into this transforming dynamic of Your love for me, right? Which at once, by the way, in this uh, in this time of Eucharistic revival, right, affirms the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. So it affirms the transubstantiation, right, as well as right celebrating the dynamism of the Eucharist, that is, he's present in his person in the Eucharist. Um, and the love, like that, that activity of the Eucharist, we speak of Eucharistic love, the like the Eucharist is the dynamic of the church and the dynamic of his saints, right? It's by that unity with his real presence, right? Uh, that we then become his hands and feet in the world, right? Uh, you know, I think Bishop Barron says your vocation uh, will always take the form of a corporal or spiritual work of mercy, right? Um, I mean, certainly we're, we're paid to do our jobs, right? I'm paid to make worship aids and, and practice the organ and all this. But, uh, you know, I my vocation 
is the working out of the the spiritual work of mercy of the the education of souls, right? The the enlightening of the ignorant, right? Um, and so, because I understand my vocation as Eucharistic, right? I under uh, I understand my my work that way, right? As as radiating the beauty of the Eucharist to the world through those works of mercy. Um, I also think, and what I didn't touch on with your previous question, right, with the Christus deformis and the form of the slave and the form of God was uh, the resurrected body. Uh, I, I don't think we can focus too much on the principle that Christ's glorified body possesses the scars, right, uh, of his crucifixion, of his torture and death. Uh, those aren't removed, right, in, in the transformation of the resurrection. Uh, and that that says something profound, right, which is, you know, the, the deepest points of suffering in our life. Uh, you know, whether we're, we're born with them, whether it, it happens along the path of our life, uh, right? These deepest points of suffering are in fact the portals through which his beauty and his Eucharistic grace will work. So, uh, you know, this is, we, we encounter the Christian notion of love of ourselves, right? And, and love of our bodies, no matter how deformed they might be, right? They are unified with his glorified body. Right, not despite the flaws, but in and through the flaws. Right, uh, so I believe I believe this, um, you know, devotion to the resurrected Lord, right, and and a true love for for Him in His glorified body means that we we love and cherish even those points of suffering in our lives because it's it's we meet Him in those. So I, you know, this brings us to this wholeness, this oneness, this unity. And I think you mentioned something that I thought um, was really kind of thought provoking because there's this tendency in our human na our human nature to have an individual uh, understanding of what's going on. And so this isn't, you know, we're in this location or we're in this place, and then Jesus and Christ, you know, comes to us, and then we're unified. I mean, it's it's principally seen in the Eucharist, and the goal is not to become ourselves. Um, and then Christ is there as well. No, our goal is to become one with Christ in the same way that that Christ was fully God and fully man. So I, I think that's really unique. And then you also talk about, you know, Christ wanting to be with the people and have that expression of, you know, mercy towards, you know, society. And what we know from, you know, people like Virgil Michael and social regeneration is that that's not even finality. You know, in our lives right here, you know, reception of the the Eucharist and becoming one with Christ is not finality. The finality, in a sense, is the outpouring of that Christ-like nature into the streets and into society for for change, for good, for encounters with Christ through our you know uh, our, our sacrifice at Mass. So that that wholeness. Can you talk a little bit about that as this kind of culmination of of unity. Yeah. Um, well, what, what I, I want to point out an aspect of, of this unity, Jesse, which I think is the, the Christian genius or the Catholic genius in our understanding of what communion is. Um, so I think in, in part of the book, and I forget which, which thinker she is appealing to, right. 
uh, well, actually, it's in uh, one of the foundational chapters uh, where Estelle uh, deals with the issue of cannibalism, right, which is a, a gritty one. But I, one, I think she feels she has to talk about from a soci from an anthropological perspective is she's going to talk about the Eucharist, right, and eating beauty. And, you know, it's some uh, may, maybe who haven't really engaged theological nuance might say, well, that's it's, it's cannibalistic. You're eating the body of the son of God. Right. And no, no. Right. The, the difference is in cannibalism is geared toward the destruction of the other. Right. Kind of like we were talking about the two ways of eating beauty. Right. Cannibalism is oriented towards the destruction of the other, where as the Eucharist is a lot of the I in the you, right? It is communion. But the genius here is that the I doesn't simply dissipate into nothingness, right? This wholeness with Christ, this unity, it doesn't mean that I, I sort of slip into the ether, right? And and Christ has absorbed himself into me. Um, here we we encounter the category of Christian freedom, right? And the, the genius and the, the grace of this communion with Christ is that while in a sense I lose myself, I gain myself back in a way I never have before, right? So I become more me, right, in, in this unity with Christ. Uh, so he obliterates nothing. Well, he obliterates my sin, right, uh, in in this Eucharistic union with him. Uh, but he... And, but he you know, doesn't even obliterate that to the point of, of of me losing the best parts of myself that are caught up with that sin, right? Uh, it's I I am made more myself, and I am made more free in this unity with Him. Uh, it's I mean, it's a scary aspect uh, of the Christian life when you you think of losing myself in my vocation, losing myself in my marriage, losing myself in my priesthood. Like, will I still exist? And and the answer is like, you will exist even more intensely, like because of your unity with Jesus Christ. Uh, so in terms of wholeness with wholeness and this communion, I, I want to emphasize the miracle of, of that freedom, right? That I, I can stand more confidently in myself because I have lost myself in Jesus Christ. Uh, and in that confidence uh, comes a zeal right, as you said, right, for that love to be diffused, right, to go out into the streets uh, to, you know, draw others into union with Christ so that they can sell, sell, they themselves can stand more freely, right, as children of God. Well, that is absolutely excellent. Again, I mean, I think this is such a, a needed, you know, uh, discourse, especially during this Eucharist revival, like you said, so that we can really start to understand all of this. Um, and I love what you said about, you know, being yourself, who you were, who you're designed to be. I mean, that's saints for all of us. So I think that's incredibly enlightening as well. So, uh, Mary Catherine, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, you know, people, I hope you, you get a chance to read this article on Adoramus and, uh, we hope to have you, uh, write more articles. That would be great. Oh, I always love that. Uh, it, it's an honor, Jesse. Okay. God bless. <laughs>